0: hello and welcome to the Telos in Sonas podcast we've got a great conversation with the Scottish Archmage of psychedelic breaks DJ producer and educator Headflux or Steve young and opulence known to friends as Steve as Steve that's all <laughs> yeah he's also Steve <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> oh my god um, We've got a great conversation with the Scottish archmage of Psychedelic Breaks, DJ, producer and educator Headflux or Steve Young and Opulence, known to friends as Antifreeze, who is a DJ and educator alongside Steve in their company Audio Alchemy. An electronic music production retreat workflow, methodology, label, and online community. So I'm really, really stoked to be able to talk with these guys. Um, I've already learned a lot from Steve and Andy, having gone to one of their retreats and having my fucking mind blown. Just by the entire experience as a whole, um, I'm really grateful to be able to ask them a bit more about where they're coming from and explain a bit about what they're doing. Uh, so, yeah, let's get to the podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Steve Young and Andy Freest, producers, DJs, and educators living on the Big Island, Hawaii. We talk about the philosophy and connection between audio and alchemy, ecstatic dance, their influences, um, connecting musicianship with producership, and loads of other stuff. You can learn more about these guys in their words on Steam if you search... Audio Alchemy, I think that's SteamIt dot something. Um, I don't know. me s- Steam dot it. It's SteamIt dot com. Learn more about the retreat on their web. Oh my god, I fucked that. But yeah, Steam, <laughs> Steam yeah. Uh, is a site you can. It's blockchain shit. Um, we actually didn't get to-, to talk about Steam on the podcast, which was great. But uh, yeah. <laughs> um. You can learn more about the retreat on their website audioalchemy.io and find them on Facebook under the same name. Also, make sure to check out their music and journey mixes as Headflux and Opulence. Uh, these guys are fucking incredible.
1: it before your eyes. Everything owes its existence solely and completely to sound. <laughs>
0: Now, because uh, you're both doing really interesting things and have had pretty interesting lives, so yeah, I'm eager to learn more about all of your journey thus far and your plans for the future. Mm. Um, so, uh, tell me a bit about each of your stories how you discovered your passion for music and who your musical influences were, and uh, and mm-hmm. really, what, it, what the things that were that were happening in your life that uh, were the so catalyst for this kind of shift into the realm of uh, the realm that you're
2: operating in now? Mm-hmm. Shall I? Shall
1: I jump in then yeah. first? Yeah, go for it.
2: I'll go second. Mm-hmm.
1: Um well yeah thanks for thanks for having us Luke um yeah really ex- excited to be chatting to you and doing uh, a podcast and uh be wanting to do more content like this and so thank uh stepping up and um you know being proactive in initiating and initiating it initiating it and making it happen so yeah i mean i i you know, I can't really remember what started music for me, but I just as far back as I remember, I was always obsessing over music and records. And, you know, as a kid, I was obsessed with Michael Jackson. It was like straight up, you know, biggest influence ever. You know, I don't really list that on my Head Flux biog or whatever, but like, I think it's pretty obvious from the kinds of beats that I use um, that, uh, you know, most of the great Michael Jackson tunes use the same beat, that kind of electronic, punchy kind of kick snare thing. So I got a lot of inspiration from him and the way he moved and the way he danced and all that kind of thing. And yeah, electronic music, rave music came into the picture for me, uh, probably in the late eighties, uh, around about 1990. Um, got some tapes, you know, some pirated tapes of like old like rave mixes like Carl Cox and people like this. And of course just instantly loved the kind of, you know, the thrashing beats and the electronic noises and, you know, all this kind of thing. And then that just kicked off a real obsession with that. I got I got a computer when, I, uh, in about 1992, I got an Amiga and uh, started uh, learning how to make computer game style music on that, you know, like using like trackers and uh,
2: mm-hmm.
1: hex codes and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> so that's when I first started getting, like, make, making all that. And then, yeah, I did that for a few years. And then, around right about 1996, I got my first PC. And that's when I started getting into Cubase. Um, and, uh, and then, yeah, it was but that went through to like about 2005 when I got I got into Ableton Live, um, and that was really the production journey. But um, yeah, the DJ journey just started very young. I was, you know, when I was in primary school, I would make mixtapes for people. You know, just putting tracks back to back onto a, a tape, like both sides of a tape, and you know, giving people like compilations and things. And then, yeah, by age 12, I got some vinyl decks and, uh, you know, started uh, spinning school discos and yeah, <laughs> you know, all kinds of uh, things. I was like, always the guy like bringing like new music to school. Like, I'm pretty sure I got everyone into drum and bass in my school, <laughs> uh, hardcore. And yeah, always just seeking out fresh sounds and, and bringing it to the people. That's like, yeah, it's like the longest running thread in, in my life, really. Um, Yeah. And so it took me until I was about 32 before I realized I actually ought to just do this for a living. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Yeah. That's the, that's the short version anyway.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And doing the DJing for a living, that was the idea first before, uh, producing and DJing your own tunes for a living or did that happen sort of at the same time?
1: Well, yeah, I think the producing sort of enabled it. You know, I, I never really thought I could be like a, just a DJ for a living. Um, I always knew that would need to be supported. But then, yeah, when I started making tracks and seeing how just how much further, like, you know, you know, you could have been trying, try, you know, cause the, the name Headflux. I came up with that in like 2003 or so. And I was playing around London. I was like DJing like breaks and trance and stuff like that and doing the sort of cyclical breaks thing. But it wasn't really until... I released the first track in 2008, um, the, I started getting bookings like far away, you know, like outside your hometown, mm-hmm. outside your country, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, so I, I guess, you know, from that point of view, it was just like the the production enabled me to, you know, do the, do the whole thing as a, as a lifestyle, you know, as a full-time lifestyle, but the DJing was always where the money was coming from, you know, mm-hmm. cause I I had no illusions about music sales. I was like, I'm not going to, I know I'm not going to (laughs) make, I'm going to have to just make this work through DJing and doing other stuff, you know, sample packs and all that. So, um, yeah, so it was, it was really a labor, a labor of love, you know, I mean, you're literally, you know, just, you you're doing what you love. Like writing music is, yeah, you got to do it in your own time and you, got to try and leverage that as much as possible (laughs) um with you know gigs and and other opportunities that feed into what you're doing such as sound design or music making opportunities that might you know pay for you pay you or whatever so yeah um yeah that's the that's that's the essence of it really all right andy
0: yeah what's uh
2: yeah so Music is, I mean, it's funny listening to, there's a few little nuggets of Steve's story that I haven't actually even, I wasn't even quite aware of myself. So that's pretty awesome. Um, that that uh, there's a lot of uh, similarities in our, in our path. So my, I guess my whole story begins, um, my first instrument was pots and pans when I was, uh, I think I wasn't even talking. So I was talking through drums before my voice. Um, and then when I was, I want to say like four or something, I don't know, maybe a little later, I was put in piano lessons and that was kind of like my first, um, real sort of, uh, endeavor of music. And, um, and then the piano lessons eventually evolved into guitar and, you know, so, so music's always been just kind of there in the background. A really important thing and and a uh, funny that steve you mentioned about michael jackson the first cd that i ever owned as a child was michael jackson <laughs> <laughs> i think the second was hansen <laughs> 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 uh, but anyways so so I, I i music was always like a really important thing and i always was just really um passionate music and was always finding new music and you know was really like into my music collection and library as a kid I remember when I was um, maybe I must have been like coming into my early teens I was introduced to like subwoofers and like larger sound systems I remember I actually when I was like probably 13 years old uh I actually, like, installed, like, a car subwoofer, like, two twelves in my bedroom and would just, like, bump this insane sound system, like, at my parents' house listening to, like, probably really obnoxious music. But, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, it, the music's always been been there. And I even remember when I was in, you know, like, junior high school or or maybe it was high school and, you know, they get to the thing where you, like, have to, like pick what you're going to be when you grow up or whatever they they make you go through these exercises. And I I remember really having it be like, I I knew I wanted to go music direction and you know, the options for that were like, Oh, you can be a recording engineer. I'm like, Oh, that sounds kind of lame. You know, there wasn't, um, they didn't have like electronic music producer on the, on the list or DJ on the list, you know? Um, but I knew like music industry, something about music industry. I, I just knew it, um, but it, it didn't, I, there wasn't any like bit of clarity there. And at that time I was actually um, working for my family uh, construction business. And I did that for like 10 years from like middle school all the way out until after I even graduated high school. Um, but I would say that like my everything kind of started coming into view around high school. And, and it was certainly, um, an effect of, of like entheogens and psychedelics and just kind of opening me up to the real true power of music. I mean, I, I always felt it. Everybody feels, everybody knows and feels music's powerful, right? It moves the world, right? Mm-hmm. Literally makes the world go round. But I remember, I mean, it was pretty, Specifically, it was you know in high school is when I started getting into electronic music, Um, and then kind of leading up to that, I even I went through so many phases of music. Like literally, I I feel like every year was like a whole new genre, a new world. You know, different dress code, different group of friends. I went through this whole like emo phase and hardcore bands. You name it, rap, gangster, all that, everything. I kind of went through it all. Uh, and then in a high school, um, I discovered electronic music and kind of the more psychedelic types of sounds. Um, and I remember it kind of started with like Bonobo and Ninja Tune was kind of the 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 gateway into that whole world. And then I remember one time a friend of mine was like, "Hey man, you got to check this check this out." And he pulled me into his room and went on MySpace to this artist profile, this weird dude named Spangel. And he was like, you gotta listen to this, and like puts on on the headphones. And I'm, you know, in the midst of a journey of sorts. And um, I put my headphones on and I and he plays the it's a levitation nation tune, I think that's the name of it.
1: <laughs> plays this
2: thing, and I mean the tune's only a few minutes long, and um the tune's over, and I take my headphones off, and I I just realized that, like I actually went on a journey some like I went somewhere else in this way that I've never experienced before and like I literally like experienced going inside of this the music right in in a really really tangible and palpable way and I came out and was just like holy crap what that that's possible like I you can you can go in music like that and it just (laughs) from that moment forward it was just like Deep dive into. I just devoured everything in that whole realm, you know, art and schwangel, and and that's kind of what ultimately led me to where I currently am with things. Um, And then, you know, as far as like as a DJ uh, myself, um, I guess that traces back to I I decided I wanted to start DJing and and making music. Uh, it Was like two thousand seven was when I got my first MacBook Pro. And I got Ableton along with it and started DJing and and shortly thereafter. And um, it just was like, you know, mostly a hobby. Uh, And then over the last few years, it's just kind of become culminating into something tangible, you know, that's actually starting to support me. But there wasn't really any uh, like notable event that happened. It just has kind of been like, over time, you know, just continuing to do it just because I love doing it so much and um, putting on events to put myself on stage. And, you know, through through all of that has kind of led to what is now the Audio Alchemy Retreat, Phoenix Festival and all these things. And um, yeah, it's just been, it's been a wild, wild journey.
0: Yeah. Well, <laughs> the, the, yeah, the culmination into Audio Alchemy being sort of your baby at the moment is a uh, sort of something I want to ask you a lot more about, um, because it's, you know, everything you're doing at the moment is, uh, you know, within that space and it, it seems really exciting and being a part of it in the way that I have and having experienced what it is that you guys are doing. Um, I am just in awe of the, uh, intention and scale of the, the project. Um, so just to like go into that I'm curious as to as a de- as DJs and as producers uh, like could you describe uh, an idea or state of mind uh, that you have attempted to communicate through music like um, what it is what is it that you um, you're trying to communicate uh, primarily or or otherwise
2: yeah I mean, I- I can kind of, uh, I'll start a little segue, and then I know Steve is going to have a lot to say on this too. I think for me personally, that experience of of Spong- listening to Spangle and just having these experiences, um, working with Entheogens and then going on these journeys through the music and just seeing really the... the Experiencing these, this deep transformative power that it holds it really just kind of led me to come to this belief that there is this opportunity to utilize music as a means of transformation. And, and I Mm. I have been well aware of the fact that our world is, um, sort of like there's a, I guess there's a bit of a disease or or a sort of global sickness. And I I just kind of knew that music was going to be the curative element that, that can be, if, if, if utilized in the right way, and so that's kind of like where audio alchemy was born out of this idea of just being able to communicate this idea of awakening, right? Which, you know, especially like in this sort of psychedelic counterculture, this idea of awakening enlightenment is like a really popular thing. Um, and the whole alchemy bit is, is really where it all became possible it became real it's now it's not just this like vague idea or fantasy and it's like yeah hopefully 2012 will happen and the aliens will come save us it's like oh we actually have this practical scientific approach to do it to do the thing and so that's really what what audio alchemy been has been and is still now is just kind of grappling and reining in this science and coming and understanding it and learning it, you know, we're, we teach it, but we're also just students of it ourselves. And so, yeah, that's, that's really what it's about for us right now is just putting it into practical terms of like, how do we actually initiate this kind of societal alchemy, right?
0: Yeah. So, yeah, bringing people into sort of transcendent states of mind exactly yeah and like through your your djing i suppose you're doing uh the same thing over a so yeah
2: longer period of time i guess to a to a group of people yeah well the whole djing thing which is really fascinating is is that this really started to gel with me through uh ecstatic dance which is a really popular um event that um it's happening all over the world but it, it the birthplace of it is actually here in H- in hawaii on the big island and the whole point with that is instead of having these big long you know multi day events it's just a weekly 2 hour dance focused dance there's no talking there's one dj and the journey starts from literally you go from ambient to just full on just raging it back to ambient you know in that little chunk of time so you people get to actually have this like complete unfolding journey that blossoms into this sort of ex ecstatic state and then comes back down so that's been a really awesome you know I guess it's kind of a microcosm in a way yeah there's an aspect of it that's it's almost
0: church-like when you think about it it is and yeah. you're like you're just like a pastor up there just uh, very much yeah. so. Yeah. And
2: it's, it's the, uh, ironic. Well, I mean, it's, I, I don't think it's an accident that they do it on Sunday morning, every Sunday morning. <laughs> so yeah, it's yeah. kind of, kind of interesting. Yeah, I guess right. I, I kind of want to loop it back around. Can you, can you just restate your question? Well um, it was
0: just, what are you trying to, what kind of states of mind are you trying to yep. okay. uh, yeah, elicit through your music? And uh, I suppose Steve, if, if you want to talk a bit about, um what you're doing
1: yes so so, i mean the ecstatic dance thing is 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 important i say that's kind of been you know after like nearly 25 years of like playing shows in clubs and festivals and just you know parties and house parties and you know illegal raves and you know all this this whole thing like and i've only been doing ecstatic dances the last two years but um it's a very humbling experience for a dj very different you know, uh, very different vibe from like, you know, the general kind of like hustle of a nightclub or, or, or a house party or something, uh, or, or even a festival. Um, and it, 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 it I guess it's more, there's a, a there's a, a greater trust put in the DJ and a greater surrender. There's this like people giving over their full attention, like no words, no cell phones, you know no shoes they're going into the dance floor and giving them full selves over to the dj and they want to be taken really far you know in that period, in that period of time um and there's something very therapeutic about it um and uh um you know the focus is on healing more than entertainment you know which you know again coming from a club uh club oriented i mean people would have of course profound experiences in clubs but you know the general sort of format is one of like you know it's it's sort of city entertainment you know it's like you know you go in you buy your drink and you you know you stand and drink your beer and move around while the music plays and all that it's kind of like and then you go and you know go for a meal or you know going to break it's just just like a a part of this kind of like cycle of entertainment but with the the ecstatic dance there's just like this you know people are coming there and they want to feel healed you know they want to leave feeling transformed and like you know, it's not a, it's not an entertainment. It's not a, like, let's do all the drugs and drink all the booze kind of situation. It's like, let's transform our emotional states through the medium of dance and, and music, you know? And, uh, and of course there's a sharing circle at the end. So, um, you know, if you're, if you're irresponsible with your, uh, <laughs> um, your role as a DJ or you don't do it quite right, or you, you know, you, yeah, if you, up, then someone, you know, someone's going to tell you and you're going to have to sit there in a circle of people and take it. You know, you can't just like run off the stage and hide behind the next guy's music. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like you got to face the music, you know. <laughs> um, and so it's very, it's very humbling. You know, it's not like the sort of sensationalized, like idol DJs, like high up on the stage above the masses of thousands, you know, it's like you're right there with people. And uh, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's really changed me as a DJ, you know, and uh, I'm I'm a big proponent of ecstatic dance. It's, uh, you know, for promoters as well, it's just much uh, easier to put on an ecstatic dance than it is to put on an all night party um, on a weekend, you know, just like three hours in a yoga studio or, you know, anywhere, you know, you can get three hours and play some music and just get people to dance. Yeah. Uh yeah Yeah.
0: no need for security no need for like you know <laughs> a license to sell beverages
1: it, it, uh, it's just <laughs> it's another it's a great outlet for djs as well you know and uh, another opportunity for djs like midweek you know midweek opportunities for djs or sunday mornings or whatever mm. uh, there's there's a lot of good a lot of good has come from the ecstatic dance um although i think it's it's still kind of sneered sneered upon by a lot of like ravers and club people and they think it's like some like hippie thing where you like have to do a particular kind of dance or whatever I'm just like no it's just you just dance however you want you know but it's like <laughs> it's not like you have to do the ecstatic dance you know it's just like no it's just like raving except there's only three hours and you don't talk <laughs> yeah. yeah I feel like
0: yeah, it might get that uh that that idea because of you often see people just kind of like flowing around a lot a, like, um, a lot of people feel uncomfortable doing that
1: I think yeah, exactly. People really let themselves loose, you know, and that's part of that is because the space is, is you know, intended for that, you know, so like there's no one going around with phones and, you know, um, you know, people talking and, and stuff. Yeah, it's like, it's like, yeah, you know, just get go as wild with your dancing as you as you want to. And uh, it's OK, you know. Yeah, yeah it's
2: yeah. the thing that I've noticed about it is that ecstatic dance, it. it <laughs> It's almost like you know when you go to a festival and you have your peak experience on the dance floor. You know you took the drugs. You you're you're at your favorite artist set, and then you have your moment, and it's just like the best thing ever, right? But it takes There's a lot of um, energy that goes into that happening, and then there's a lot of like downtime afterwards, right? The hangover, all of it. With ecstatic dance, like. When you go, when you show up and you just in the music's on point and you're able to let go, like you get to have that peak festival experience. And then afterwards, like you're fine. You go and you have rest your day and then it's good. There's yeah. no right. Yeah. And so I think, you know, it's like a lot of people do shy away from it. Um, but when it's done right, it's like it really is just an invitation to get to that space. To that state of mind that normally requires so much bullshit to get there mm-hmm. um, when really we can just go there like immediately we can just put some speakers up and just like like create that experience and you know the music really in that case comes the medicine right it, it's the, really the fusion of the music and the dance um and it's just it just gets to the point right yeah
1: I mean, so to go back to like what your, your original question was, I guess about the, you know, what what kind of ideas and states of mind and feelings you're trying to express with the music. Um, you know, uh in the beginning with Headflux, you know, it was, yeah, I was I was just trying to express my my dance floor bliss, you know, that moment that I was having, you know, like once a month or whatever, I go to London and go clubbing and, you know, um have that kind of ecstatic moment and hear all this this music and all these great sounds and then i'd come back and try to like recreate that and and write it you know make it resonate turn it into like a whole journey and then <laughs> and so it was very club focused in the beginning and you know uh you know clubs are just about like having a good time you know people they got a lot of pressure in their lives they got to work at least 5 days of the week they get one or two nights where they can actually go out and release some pressure Um, and so, yeah, you go out to the club, you do what, you know, take what you want to take, you get high, you dance the night away. Um, and that's, you know, that was the thing. It was the weekend warrior paradigm. And, you know, so that was me for a lot of years, but then what switched for me was when I first got introduced to ayahuasca. Um, and you know, I mean, I'd had some psychedelic experiences before that, but like this one was just like, so, you know, it just went so far beyond so lucid and, you know, just, you know, just really opened my mind to just uh, healing, you know, the, the the nature of healing, you know, and vibrational healing in particular, you know, and how like the vibrations can help us to heal and all this kind of thing. Um <clears throat> And so I became really interested in that and in shamanism. And then what I noticed was that like, people started talking about healing to me all the time like in, in relation to my music so like whereas before when i was just like in the weekend warrior like clubbing paradigm the language people would use to talk about the music was very different to like oh, after wow. the healing thing then it all shifted and now suddenly people were talking about like healing experiences they were having while listening to the music you know healing experiences on the dance floor you know um and I'm like, well, this is, this is really weird. It's like, I'm I'm getting into healing in the moment. I'm researching this. And now everyone's like talking about how the music's helping them to heal. Whereas before they may just talk about how it gives them some like really out there visions or whatever. But now it's, it's you know, it's like it was growing up kind of thing. It's like I was growing up and the music was growing up. Yeah, so I mean, I, you know, down that path now where like most of the shows I play now, I mean I still play some like pretty, you know, hedonistic parties and things like that, but a lot of the shows I get booked for now have a very strong like healing intention um in in them and uh you know, and the feedback I'm getting from people is, you know, really helping me to understand the, the medicinal aspect of music because I, you know, I was just doing it cause it felt good. You know, I mean, I knew it made people happy and in that sense, being happy is good medicine. But, um, yeah, the last few years in particular have really helped me to get really more into the details of like how the mechanism of resonance works with people and, and how you can stimulate the effect of a psychedelic medicine, uh, through a journey you know through a, a musical journey uh or a dj set or whatever um and and depending on how open people are to receiving it so you know in a ecstatic dance they're completely open um but in other situations they may be you know like drinking beer and talking while you're playing and so that kind of narrows like how much of the medicine can actually get in and, and help them You know the more distracted, you know, stuff that's going on, you know, and the more dull their consciousness, you know, if they're drinking lots of beer, for example, you kind of hear, you know, it just doesn't you kind of hear the same quality at all, you know? Mm-hmm. So there's lots of things that get in the way of the medicine yeah. being delivered, but uh, when it's delivered 100%, it's like potent. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It, it certainly is. And it, and it makes me think about like that church analogy where you've, you've got at the ecstatic dance of, these people who are wholly receptive to, you know, that experience as people, you would hope people are at church, at least to some degree, you know, going to this place for an intention, but at church, we're missing the ecstatic element. There's no having the ecstatic experience at church anymore. And Mm -hmm. with the sort of, so the cultural loss of faith, um, people have turned to more that weekend warrior type experience Mm -hmm. where they're getting the ecstasy, but they're not getting the intention yeah. Yeah and it seems like it's kind of like a fusion of uh yeah the yeah the ecstatic and the religious experience i suppose.
1: Well i mean with the weekend warrior paradigm i mean the you know <clears throat> it was never about healing yeah. quite the opposite in fact you know um you would go out and get as fucked up as possible in the time that you had available between your uh, job kind of thing. Um, and people still still do. You know, it's like you could, you know, people just get it as wasted as they can. And uh, and then they have this huge, you know, messy, messy headache they have to then deal with at the beginning of their week. Um, and, you know, I was guilty for that as anyone, you know. But yeah, I guess after like years of doing that, you know, and um, realizing, well, why am I doing all that just to get this experience of musical bliss when i can get that experience of musical bliss without having to do all that you know that was like just the gateway It was the way we had to do it because it was underground it was always at night it always had to happen during the night in the middle of the night you know or um at the weekends and you know in 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 you know black rooms under the city and all this kind of thing it was Mm -hmm. like the away, you know and like what i've seen over the course of my life is i've seen music come out of these underground warehouses and you know forests and you know go out into these beautiful spaces more festivals and uh more outdoor you know and and just out into the light you know and playing the ecstatic dance the daytime ecstatic dance like more sunday morning is it's just beautiful like the light it's like getting lighter you know as the morning goes on like instead of just this dark you know always in these dark rooms in the in the dead of night you know yeah i'm I'm really loving how that it does seem there does seem to be this like blossoming of music culture um which has been happening yeah over the last like twenty years uh yeah probably longer yeah yeah, yeah.
2: i like i like to i liken it to um at the center of a lot of indigenous cultures and tribal cultures is this like trance dance ritual that they do right you know, you see it in Africa a lot where they'll have their rituals with the drums and they'll drum at certain rhythms and they have it down to a science, right? Where all together as a village, like they they make it part of their life to access these higher states of consciousness together because it builds community and it, it allows them to connect on a higher sort of substrate or level. Yeah. Um, and I, I kind of, I think of, festival culture and you know nightclub culture and and specifically ecstatic dance is a sort of um, rekindling of that sort of sort of way of life but what i've found is that the ecstatic dance is like much more ritualized than just like going to a club because you feel like going to a club it's like the thing with ecstatic dance which is really fascinating is that especially out here it's it's every sunday and it's been like that for the last almost like 15 years and it's like you see the same people every time and there's always new people but like it is a ritual like a weekly thing that that people just like count on it right it's just like church in that way and it's, it's just fascinating because I mean every Sunday there's like 300 people pack into this place by the ocean and then just lose it absolutely lose it like peak time festival, lose it for two hours and then it's over.
1: More than you see people at festivals. I, you know, I think people actually are more loose and more expressive, you know, in an ecstatic dance environment than even at a festival, you know? yeah for the the size of it and everything it's just like people really really go to time with it and and the regulars of course the people who come more and they're more experienced and they've loosened up more and they have more moves and means of expression they just oh the way people move it but it blows my mind tear it up it's great yeah. i mean mm-hmm. going back to the church analogy i mean i was thinking of uh those uh Uh, You know, those videos you see um, of, like, people in the church, like, just going absolutely nuts and they put, like, drum and bass soundtracks on them. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm not sure which churches those are, but they're obviously, you know, going for an ecstatic uh, type experience there, just getting people to just, like, really just, you know, throw themselves around and everything uh, work out the demons, you know, and, and and that does, you know, that's definitely a part of it. You know, the movement, you know, we know that exercise is good for improving your mood and obviously dancing is a kind of like rhythmic, uh, kind of meditation slash exercise slash, you know, dance, like all, you know, all in one kind of thing. Um, everything about it is, is, you know, good for your system, you know, um, when done properly, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and, and it's sorry, Andy. Um, yeah
2: i was just gonna say like it's these these states of ecstasy are what religion is pointing to and it's what religion is born from yeah right and so now we've got this technology that's you know um these synthesizers and and this music and these like big sound systems and you know this ability to just create these situations where we can create a, a really, I mean, really all it takes is just you saying yes and just getting over your self-imposed, like, do oh, I want to do that. That's, that's lame. That's gay. I, you know, I don't dance like that, you know, or like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's really weird. Like that, that, um, there's a lot of, um, like societal conditioning that stops us from actually getting the, the The bliss and satisfaction that we're all seeking in life, you know, and it's like, like uh, Steve was mentioning it earlier, just the uh, like the language of this idea of like healing versus like in the club world, it's not about healing; it's about like sick, sick shit. And I was so sick on like you fucking killed it, bro. You so sick. It's like wow, okay, like okay. I guess that's really what that that's telling, right? You don't hear people being like, "Oh, it's really healthy." Uh, I want to go to the club and like get healed up. You know, it's like to to, the, to that other consciousness that the idea of healthy or healing is kind of like that's lame. You know, who's that? Who's that gay shit? Man? You know, it's like it's it's weird that that that, that the dichotomy is like that. Yeah,
1: it's well, it is. <laughs> so it's because we. It's, it reminds me of that quote, you know. It's no measure of health to be well adjusted to a sick society. You know, like mm. it's like you know the the pressures people are under are so extreme, and the you know often you know the the, the situation they're in is kind of sick. So like the the pre, getting you know the freedom to actually just go out and just have a blast with you know um, drugs and alcohol and friends and music and all that kind of thing is like. Um, it's, it's, it's overdone, you know, we, we overcompensate, um, with, uh, all, you know, all the stuff. And so we, we, cause we got such a short window of time in which to do it and so much, uh, healing to do, you know, but, uh, yeah, yeah. But you no, know, I think like anyone who's in, in, in it for the long game, you know, eventually starts to arrive at the, you know, knowledge about healing and, you know, and understanding that, you know, these medicines that we were, we were once taking for, entertainment and recreation are actually like powerful healing tools when used in the right way, um, uh, responsibly. So, um, yeah, we just never, no one ever taught us how to use them, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And
0: I mean, those substances have been lost from the, these sort of Orthodox church and religions of, of, um, our time. So, um, when we like you, see those the Pentecostal type situations with the evangelicals and like they're pushing people over using the Holy Spirit and it's it's really ecstatic. And I mean, if you really wanted an ecstatic experience, I'm sure you could go to one and it would be just bizarre and maybe really powerful just to be in a crowd like that. But the symbols are like really difficult to relate to and you almost don't want to relate to them because they – represent an old world that is sort of uh yeah, the, the meta- whatever power behind the metaphors and the symbols of say mm-hmm. Christianity have been just utterly lost uh, mm-hmm. or yeah, they've lost connection to you know, our current society. Um, so yeah, we go in the opposite direction, but to kind of segue over to the audio alchemy side of things, because there's so much to talk about. Alchemy is a, a symbol structure and it's, I suppose, a remedy to that, um, would you say, from your perspective. So could you just uh, give us a rundown of what alchemy is historically and what it represents to you personally and its intersection with audio? Like, what is audio alchemy? And. But yeah, if you could describe alchemy a little bit, just for anyone that's not really sure what it means to <laughs> you when you say the word.
1: Sure. I, you know, I first heard about alchemy at, at high school, just in a kind of an off-the-cuff remark by our chemistry teacher. Um, and she talked about these kind of old medieval dudes who were trying to make gold out of lead. and uh, um, But uh, they never succeeded. And, you know, it was all just a bunch of hocus pocus. And that's why we don't talk about it anymore <laughs> you know? and that, that was it really um, I started noticing the word kind of coming up more and more in my later years like after I'd left school and university and stuff and I was just doing my own own research you know I kept seeing these references to alchemy and it was always in the context of transformation and so <clears throat> as my life started to transform I talked about ayahuasca and you know doing music full-time and a lot of these uh, transformative um, sort of experiences, you know, that, that I would then make new choices in my life and then my life would become different and so on. And so I, I felt like there was, the, alchemy was like, I knew it was to do with transformation and so I just dove, dove deep into it a few years ago. And uh, when I first started to, so, so the, the, I mean the essential idea is that it, it's really the, the hidden wisdom behind uh, all of art and science and religion. Okay. And, and now we take these things to be like, they're, you know, it's very separate these days, you know, uh, we live in this kind of secular world where we have, you know, religion is one thing, science is another, and art is another, and, and, and they're all separate. Um, but as we go back in time, we see that, you know, all the best art was religiously inspired, you know, um, and, uh, and, you know, science was, you know, not, a you know now science has become associated with this kind of atheistic belief that there's no god and everything's matter but like it wasn't that before it was just a method of working you know so magicians were scientists you know alchemists were scientists like they were people who were you know testing reality and coming up with theories and creating things you know they were they were not just accepting the situation they were in they were working to change it using knowledge Um, And that is really the essence of science, you know, although it's, you know, become this kind of dogma now where it's like it's supposedly in conflict with religion. And, you know, it's I I see them all as being really unified and alchemy has really helped me to see that. So the reason alchemy ties them all together is because it's concerned with the transformation of energy and, um, you know, all all creation and, and all science all art and all spiritual development is a transformation of energy at at its core, you know, whether it's external energies, like the elements and the, you know, um, our computers and our instruments and uh, the things that we can, you know, the tools and resources we have in the external world, or whether it's our consciousness and our thoughts uh, and our feelings and uh, things on the inside world that we need to transform, such as in the case of religion. But either way, we, we have to take what is there and um, transform it into something more desirable or uh, of a higher utility and usefulness in the world, and and, and really that's what what I see alchemy as a, at its core. So it's yeah, it's like using using knowledge to transform our situation into into a better one, you know. But not just better for us, but better for everybody, you know. More harmonic, more useful, and um, you know we see like just in a, a simple kind of like everyday example of alchemy. So like everything is. Is doing alchemy. Everything that is living is doing alchemy because they're taking in one form of energy in, they're processing it and transmuting it and putting another form of energy out. You know, so like a a, a cow, for example, a cattle, you know, is eating grass, which is an abundant, you know, resource that is useful. But the cow then eats the grass and produces manure, and, and then the manure is like has a higher utility and enables like more growth than the grass itself. You know, it's like mm. everything is doing something like that. You know, it's like taking in some raw, abundant material and processing into something with a higher utility, higher harmony, or uh, you know, higher usefulness. Mm. Um, and, and so I believe that's what alchemy is, and I believe that's what artists do. You know, that's what motivates us. You know, we, you know, whether whether it's music or or sculpture or or anything like that, um, painting, you know, we we see. Uh, well, Terence McKenna said, "Is is the redemption of spirit from matter?" So, so we we have this idea, internal, this spiritual thing that we want to express into matter in some way, and uh, yeah, that is really the the essence of alchemy. So. So yeah, I came to this realization that like artists are basically just alchemists in disguise. Um, and uh, the reason they're in disguise is they don't even know they're alchemists because the school system and the, you know, the, the system we've been brought up in does not acknowledge these ancient views anymore and, and just kind of dismisses them as superstition. But uh, I, I, my research is just showing that it could not be further from the truth. Like it's, it's the, It doesn't mean we need to dismiss modern knowledge, but we need both of it we need both the old world views and the modern views together um so could you explain
0: a bit about that whatever that process is that process of transformation and how you apply it to music in the the form of audio alchemy like what are you doing when you're doing audio alchemy um are you still doing audio alchemy, whether you know it or not? Or what are you doing differently? And how does that uh, connect to the ancient practice of alchemy?
1: Mm, good question. Yeah. Well, there's a a question of like bringing knowledge to the table. So, you know, actually doing your art uh, with a, an intention of, uh, you know, encoding or expressing or, you know, in some way, kind of putting knowledge into art. Um so uh yeah so in in the way we break it down for audio alchemy is we use the seven operations. Okay. So there's famously seven operations, primary operations in alchemy, um, which are processes of transformation. And I won't go through them all, but you know just the first couple are a good example. So like the calcination process, which is this kind of is represented as burning and heating something and reducing it to ashes as a more general application is like, you know, any way of like taking impurities out using a process of fire, you know, and reducing it to just the, the bit that you want, the bit that you want to work with, you know? So like when it comes to music, that's about taking your instruments and, you know, whatever, whatever sound making things you have, whether it's your computer and your speakers or your plugins, the instruments, your voice or whatever, and tuning it and calibrating it to, um, to be, uh, you know, a music making thing, you know, um, and uh, so sa- sound design, you know, tuning your instrument, designing your science, setting up your studio, you know, getting your acoustics right. All this stuff is calcination or calibration. Um, and it's really the first stage of alchemy. And, you know, you can't hope to create anything if you're not well prepared, you know, so essentially, it goes on like this, you know, it goes through seven, goes through seven steps, which... Uh, they're generally communicated in the language of chemistry, but they were taken by like Carl Jung and he saw correspondences between the chemical processes and psychological processes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, so then once I could see how a chemical process is also a psychological process, then it was very easy to see how it's also a, a process of art. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it applies to music and sculpture and painting and all that kind of thing. So my. Passion and love is music and and so I, I applied it to music and that's been my thing and you know that that's yeah what I'm doing. But it's it can very well be taken. The seven steps of alchemy are universal processes of transformation that can be taken and applied to any transformative process or creative process.
0: hmm So for anyone listening that is, you know, a producer, a musician, wants to is interested in you know learning this method and, and understanding it, um, what, what would they be doing differently in terms of their workflow, how they go about um, creating music? I know that there are different things you'll do in the production process um, depending on which phase of, of the alchemical process you're in. So uh, could you just briefly go over like how that maps onto your process now when you're creating a piece of music? Like what, what's it look like start to finish going through the seven steps?
1: Well, I think what we've noticed with, uh, you know, working with, you know, students and, you know, just musicians and uh, computer geeks and all that is that there's generally a bit of a spectrum when it comes to making electronic music. There's people who are, you know, classically trained or, you know, trained with an instrument uh, like piano or guitar or something, um, but uh, maybe not so hot on computers because, you know, they spend more time playing an instrument than sitting on a computer and then there's people who are like really well knowledgeable with computers and numbers but haven't really had all that much time playing an instrument um and uh, and 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 then you see uh uh how that then affects the workflow of the individual because a musician you know a musician and a producer as I say the difference between a musician and a producer is a musician plays music, but a producer makes products yeah it's like literally makes a product yeah so um so a musician needs a producer if he wants his music to be a product that other people can consume. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but a producer needs a musician if he wants like real musical dynamics in his productions. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, <clears throat> but, but of course we're, we're now at a point where like we're all one. Yeah. So like you're, you're, you gotta be all the same guy. You don't have to be, you can have partners, but you know, essentially that's the way I, I I've been working. So, I've so, <clears throat> So, the guy who's very musical but not very nerdy, he'll be like doing lots of jams and lots of recordings of himself jamming, but is not really able to edit it and produce it and make it sound like an actual like, professional piece of music. You know, that can be just a common problem. Whereas the producer can make like heaps of cool sound effects and beats and, you know, put them all together and edit hell of them, which, you know, is how I started doing it and probably yourself. Um, and uh, but is really actually playing anything? <laughs> you know, they're just like. Uh, there's a friend of mine. Uh, my friend Torin said, "You know, basically like typing your music into existence. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> programming it into existence." So, so with the audio alchemy, we help to. We, we, you know, we want to help people at both those ends of the spectrum. So, like, help um, the computer nerds to like set up their controllers in really musical ways, so that they can play it like. A musician would play an instrument and then also helping musicians to actually really embrace and, and get creative with the the editing and the production side of things um you know which are like the later stages so that they can be just as creative with editing and production as they are with their musical instruments you know so so those are the kind of the two uh, yeah two polarities there like how people learn how people approach it and you know everyone's obviously got their own methods w- within that but um so uh yeah i'd say yeah. So for, yeah, just, just to wrap up quickly then. So for someone who's, you know, producing with lots of sound effects, um, you know, like for them, I, you know, I would recommend they start actually making more patches, like actually like, you know, programming patches with velocity sensitivity and mod wheel sensitivity and aftertouch and pitch bend and really like building an instrument using their controller and patches rather than just using sound effects and editing. Mm-hmm. I'd say that would expand that out. And for the musician, who's recording themselves a lot, you know, yeah, they're, you know, they have to like start diving into like the production and, you know, the editing side of things. And, you know, that's kind of where their, their um, uncomfortable zone is, do you know what I mean? So like, yeah, it's just help, helping make that. So the seven steps basically cover the whole thing from the building of the instrument all the way to the creation of the final product. Um, and uh, And so you get to know where you are, and what bits you need to focus on um or what bits you're good at, and what bits you should delegate or get other people to do? you might want to get someone else to mix your track or someone else to master it, or some you know whatever you know mm-hmm. it's in uh, particular yeah. some steps you have seven people working on each, each, step. each you know yeah, one guy yeah. builds the instrument, another guy plays it, another guy records it. Another guy writes the composition. Another guy does the mix down. Another guy does the mastering. Another guy does the editing. You know, I mean, that's probably the way it yeah. would have worked in, in the old days, maybe. You know, yeah.
0: Um, about the correspondences of astrology and alchemy, I, I'm just curious how they all map onto each other. Where do you find those connections? So, like, is there a material connection between these correspondences at like an elemental level, or is it as you, you kind of said something like uh, like morphic resonance? that sort of thing everything has its own like kind of harmonic blueprint that resonates with other things in the universe but is there anything you can say about the forms and how they're connected like say lead and jupiter was it or uh or Saturn? Uh, yeah Yeah. and and yeah why are these things connected um yeah Yeah, it's okay if you can't answer that but it's
1: no, that is a that is a really good question, um, and a lot of the time it just comes down to language. You know, like when you like trace back the origins of the words, you find they have these common roots. But um, uh, sometimes there's actual physical, um, you know, uh, physically measurable um, associations between things. So, like one of the one of the really beautiful ones that um, I really just we were just talking about it this morning. Um, is the relationship between the... So we've got the seven... The the seven comes from primarily the seven luminaries, yeah? So like the Sun, the Moon, uh, Mars, Venus, Jupiter, uh, Saturn, and Mercury. Um, Now, they're, you know, if you watch the stars, you know, every night you'll notice they are seven very, very distinct lights in the sky. Obviously the Sun and the Moon being the most distinct, but then these other five, they just wander and take their own paths. Um, compared to uh, the rest of the stars, which move in circular uh, fixed orbits. So that was really, you know, and and the word planet, I believe, comes from the Greek word meaning wanderer. Yeah, so it was really given Mm -hmm. these wandering lights in the sky. And so, and then this number seven then appears all throughout nature in, you know, particularly in the human body. Um, uh, There's uh, some really good resources where you can see, like where the number seven occurs all all through the human body. But one really interesting place is like the seven gates to the head, you know? So like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Mm. And you seven gates to uh, enter and exit your head, you know? Um, but there's all these like sevens in the brain and in the ear and in the eyes and all this kind of thing. And so what it seems to suggest is that there's this, there's this underlying field of symbolism and numbers and, uh, and letters, you know, that um, is expressed in many different ways. So wherever the, the number seven is expressed in a natural system, you know, it's, a, an, it's resonant with anything else, which is also has that sevenness built into it. So mm-hmm. um, so with the wandering bodies, they are, you know, I mean, there's obviously lots of theories about what they are, um, but from a, a, a directly observational point of view, they are lights. And, um, you know, they, they project light in our direction. Um, and, uh, you know, th- so they were considered in ancient time, they were considered like creator gods, like seven creator gods. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so, um, the sevenfold template really then came from, from all that. So we have the seven colors in the rainbow, seven primary colors in the rainbow, seven notes in the Western musical scale. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it, the seven is built into like art, you know, visual art and musical art, you know, in, in, in a big way. And there's the seven sisters the seven muses and you know all these other wonderful like sevens that relate to music and art you know um yeah did you have something you want to add there oh it was it's
0: a bit silly but I, it's something i remember in primary school when kids had to pick a number between one and ten. Seven was always the most popular number it was like the just it's the perfect ratio away from five like right yeah. in the middle it was yeah Someone needs to test that. I don't know if that's like being scientifically proven that seven is people's favorite number between one and 10, but I hear it all the time.
1: Interesting. Yeah. I mean like, unlike and, and uh, slot machines or what, what do you call them in Australia? Yeah, seven. Or something you call them? Pokies. We, pokies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was like, it'd be like three sevens was like the lucky, you know, if you yep. get money, like three sevens, like lucky number seven. Yeah. There is definitely something about the number seven. And, um, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously this is podcast, but there's stuff online where you can see like where it appears, and um, it's very interesting. So the, these numbers, but they have a kind of an archetypal quality, you know. So seven appears in lots of artistic endeavors, you know, and and um, things to do with the qualities of things, you know, like the quality of light, you know, like seven colors, you know, the quality of sound, seven tones, all this kind of thing, um, and uh, uh, and and so like each of the each of the luminaries um, are seen as being like the um, like portals, if you like, through which uh, energy energy they're they're putting energy to us, and that energy has a particular quality to it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, like Venus, for example, is often associated with the divine feminine, like nurturing, motherliness, like comfort. You know things like that but then it also has a dark side you know which is like the Medusa you know which is like the dark woman is like gonna like you know consume you and all this kind of thing mm-hmm. then you have Mars like the god of War um, and yeah th- so they, they have like associations with deities they have associations with metals and uh, what's interesting with the metals is that they the speed of orbit of the luminary corresponds with the electrical conductivity of the metal. And um, we we talked about this before. But like, so Saturn is lead and is the the furthest away of the planets uh, or the slowest uh, moving of all the planets and is the least electrically conductive metal. Um, And then Jupiter is tin and so on. And it goes around all the way to the moon, which is silver, which is the most conductive metal and is the fastest moving of the luminaries. Um, And so, yeah, you see like lots of nice correspondences like that coming in. And, you know, what we've been doing is we've just been basically keeping tables, you know, just uh, like spreadsheets, you know, of everything that we can find correspondences with. And it builds up just this huge, like, network of uh, qualities and uh, ideas and relationships that are just really valuable for anyone creating, you know, any kind of creative endeavor, whatever it is, Um, it's good to be able to just, like, draw on all these, like, associations and correspondences.
2: Well, what's fascinating to me, too, is that the more we dig into this, when we first started down this, it was like mentally satisfying just because it's like a new exciting thing to dig into. And it was just infinitely deep, right? Mm -hmm. But at at first, we didn't really feel it in our bones in, in the way that we are starting to now, like the resonances between these correspondences start to actually, you start to feel that resonance as if it really is music or it's sort of, it's, it's um, like visceral in a, in a way. And it's, it's getting to the point now where it's like, we can just kind of feel our way through it to a certain extent. It's, it's really interesting. And, and, you know, one thing that's becoming really clear to me is that like, talking about alchemy is like trying to describe music. It's mm-hmm. like we can try to do it all day long, but there's nothing that I can say that's going to actually like give you the the real experience of putting the headphones on and, and having the experience, right? And it's it's like trying to explain color to a blind person, right? It just doesn't quite work. You can you can kind of dance around it and kind of show the way, so to speak. Um, yeah, I'd I'd love to go into.
0: Um, more of what Pythagoras spoke about in regards to sort of just intonation and the whole 432 realm. Uh, it's it's controversial, but it's really interesting. And I think, um, yeah, there's, you, you guys obviously have a, a lot to say about it and you've written yeah. a lot of music using that. Um, but we might have to go into that another time. So um, there's also the alchemy retreat that I really wanted to talk about. And uh, it's just like this whole other... It's where the culmination of your work here, I suppose. Um, and your vision. Um, uh, being mindful of time, I think uh, yeah, if we can maybe just bookmark those for another conversation or something, well,
1: or something. Yeah, man. I mean you're you know, you're you're just compiling the audio yourself anyway. So if you wanted to do another session and talk about four three two and the retreat and stuff like that, yeah, I'm totally down yeah. for that. Yeah, yeah. Cool. I, I would love to do episode two.
0: Yeah, awesome. Yeah, because there's Part just two. so much. We could, to talk we, could about. we
2: could we could go on and on for. I feel like we could talk about this stuff for days, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah.
1: so sorry, I really enjoyed it. Thank you.
2: Yeah,
0: um, of course. It's yeah, it's been a blast, and yeah, I hope the people <laughs> listening have got a real insight into the kind of people that you are and the. what what you're trying to do here and what you are doing, um, via audio alchemy retreat and just as individuals. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's it's really powerful work. Um, and, and just, it's visionary. I mean, the only other people in the world, only people in the world I know who are really going out on a limb to attempt this stuff. And I really admire that. Um, so, if there's like, if we could just get through some like, uh, like a couple of quick questions of sort of, uh, what are three books and or documentaries you would recommend? Um, mm-hmm. You could just try and think of those quickly, and um, maybe if you could step into a hyperbolic time chamber, which is like a device in Dragon Ball Z, um, it's basically yeah. time dilation times a million and just work on any style of music, a technique, instrument, or just anything in life. Something that you just haven't had the time for, but you could just lock yourself into, you know, a thousand years in the next five minutes. Uh, what would, what would that be? (laughs) Wow, well, I'll go for for the first question, which was the three books and movies. Yeah, maybe you could swap, (laughs) take take a question each.
1: yeah, I'll go with uh, The Secret Teachings of All Ages by Manly P. Hall. Um, yeah, just uh, want to get clued up on uh, all the stuff they don't teach you in school about history, um, you know, um, upon magic and, um, you know, the, the, the secret teachings, you know, I mean, there's just a huge amount of secret knowledge that is it's there, you know, but it's just, you have to seek it. You know, it's like, uh, it's, it's just always going to be secret. It's never going to be like on the TV on Netflix or whatever. So yeah, secret teachings of all ages, a really great way to a great primer into all of that. Um, and then a documentary, well, you know, one of my favorite ever, uh, sort of spiritual documentaries was inner worlds, outer worlds. It's a four parter, Dude, I, I, yeah, like, and it, you know, it changes, like when I go back to it and I watch it in different places and different states of time, like new messages come through, the visuals are brilliant. Um, and they made a follow up called Samadhi, which uh, I watched uh, last weekend, actually, again, and uh, it was, it was also brilliant. So there's a few recommendations anyway, for now. Awesome. Yeah, inner worlds, outer worlds is
0: yeah. incredible. that that's, uh, yeah, been foundational for me too. Yeah, um, that was a
2: good one. Right. um Time I, I would have to say so as far as uh my book pick goes i'm gonna have to say manly p hall again but his other one of his other books um there's actually two that are just were really just profound and so simple like so short and simple that the one that i've just really vibed with is called the secret destiny of america mm. um by manly p hall and then his other book of the lost keys of freemasonry was also just on the topic of alchemy and all this stuff it's just both of those books are just so simple and just to the point and it just really resonates on a super deep level with me um the book that i'm uh, audiobook i'm listening to right now which has also just been like super fun to listen to and just really on point is called the subtle art of not giving a fuck I highly recommend checking that one out. It's really, really, really good. Um, it's not. It's not how it sounds. It's more about yeah, it. Yeah,
0: yeah. I saw it, and of so I've been skirting around it the last couple of weeks. And that's
2: I, that's been like me for like the last <laughs> couple of years with it. I keep seeing it over and over, and I finally was just like, I gotta, I gotta check this out. And it's been so, so entertaining and just really, really on point and deep, really deep and philosophical. Um, so. Awesome. Um, so if you could
0: step into a time chamber. There is, yeah, no time. The next thousand, you, you spend a thousand years in the next five minutes. So
2: wait, so, say that again?
0: So you can Thousands. go into it, it. Steve's talking. I can't hear him. He's been, okay. Um, uh, you, you step into a chamber where uh-huh. the five minutes in real earth time becomes a thousand uh, years. It, it could be any amount of years. Basically, you could just practice something infinite for as long as you liked, and then you can just step back into reality. the the, the moment after you uh, you stepped in. Sounds a lot like DMT. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> Think
0: about you. Could, you could go in there and do lots of DMT. Um, so wait. Uh,
2: so I, I guess I'm
0: not quite understanding the
2: question. Something uh, you want to practice or work practice. on? That you don't feel like you. Yeah, have to- I would say a thousand years of practicing alchemy and then come back and be able to just like wave my hand and, um, turn everything around me into perfection. Okay. So you just want to be, yeah, become a a magician,
0: a true sorcerer. I like it.
1: That's pretty much. Yeah. I'm just thinking I I would just read books. Yeah. (laughs) I read books. Yeah. Yeah, Everything as well read as I can and then check back in again, you know, um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe uh, I'd do more than that. But yeah, I, you know, I love the knowledge, man. You know, I love the mysteries. I just love, uh, uh, you know, I love big words and big concepts and, you know, just, um, yeah, like that's, it's always been a thing that's driven me. And uh, um, yeah, you know, I know, I mean, particularly looking at like that book, The Secret Teachings of Ages, it's a huge book, you know, and like, um, you know, I've never even read the Bible, you know, I mean, I'm not, you know. <laughs> It's like, you know, one of the oldest, most famous books in the world. I've never read it, you know, and there's just so much out there that uh, I haven't read. I'm probably never going to be able to read. Um, You know, um, yeah, I think if I took some time out of time. Yeah. Uh, Some good books. Yeah, that's probably,
2: (laughs) I'd probably have to do the same. I'd be reading a lot of books. That's something I have a hard time doing is actually like finishing books. Yeah. Mm (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That's a great answer.
0: Um, well, uh, yeah, it's been brilliant having you guys and being able to speak like this. I know we, we talk regularly, but, um, being able to ask you these questions is, uh, yeah, it means a lot to me. And, um, I'll I'll link resources to the, some of the things you're talking about, um, all the audio alchemy and the alchemy retreat, um, uh, yeah, pages, um, if you guys, uh, you know, you have a, a, a retreat coming up. So, um, do you want to just say a few words about that so people know where they can, what they can do if they want to dive into this stuff with you?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, we have the retreat coming up in May. It's a 12 day retreat. Um, you can learn more about that at our website, which is audioalchemy.io. Um, also, if you just want to like dip your toes in this work and learn more about how we are actually applying this stuff to music, um, on our website, you can find a free webinar series that we did a couple, a couple months back. So it's like 15 hours of us literally going through the philosophical side and the practical side all, um, uh, on video. So you can just access that immediately and watch it in your own time. Um, we're doing Uh, We do, we've been getting into doing blogging on Steemit. um, So definitely check out our Steemit profile. And there's a lot of like really great information there that kind of takes you through the retreat experience. Um, And yeah, we're also uh, uh, about to announce a scholarship program for the retreat, um, which if you go to the website, you'll be able to find information on that as well. Um, Besides that, yeah, I mean... I don't really know what else to say, awesome. but, uh, yeah, our website and our Steemit is definitely the best place to like keep in touch with us.
0: Hey, great. Yeah. Well, any producers listening who feel like you might uh, want to jump on that scholarship program? Um, yeah, definitely follow through with it because this, uh, the, the retreat is, is it will blow your mind. It is one of the best things I've ever done in my life. I I can't, yeah, I can't, attribute enough value to to that so um
1: yeah i would say like for people just get in touch with us you know if it's you know on your radar at all just get in touch and uh we can talk about it and um yeah and uh, i just want to also mention that i'm doing it like a short little uh sort of audio alchemy workshop in santa barbara in the u.s on march 22nd 23rd um so that'll be it's going to be more uh you know uh, aimed at beginners, you know, with Ableton live, you know, I'm going to do a two day thing first day, kind of taking people gently into live and then second day doing more advanced stuff. But, um, yeah, so if you're just starting out with Ableton and, uh, you know, production and stuff, then that could be a good, good way in. Uh, if the retreat is not, um, something you can do. Yeah. Save yourself years of, of trawling,
0: shitty YouTube videos and yeah. uh, and just <laughs> yeah, trial and error your way to, to
2: music um yeah you don't have to do that <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah definitely one thing's for sure if you if you come to the retreat um your life will be changed for, mm-hmm. forever Guar- guaranteed Guar- guaranteed
0: <laughs> it's a huge call but it's so true um yeah well uh thank you guys i've really enjoyed this and um yeah i'll uh i'll catch up with you
1: next time sweet all right thank you luke talk soon bro thanks See you, boys. Bye.